Yeah, testing. One, two. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining me. You know, it's going to be a real easy interview. We're going to talk about your background and how you got the whole world and, you know, thoughts on improv and advice for the youngins. All right. All right. And cool, cool. And, and whatever else Paige thinks. Or is she your co-host today? I'm the co-host today. Oh. Yeah. Yummy. where Applebee's got their start. We're sorry about that, but you uh, have to admit that we made up for it with Waffle House. Hmm? It's the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who takes a very liberal interpretation of working from home, John Mihalik. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whole World Improv Theater, the podcast. My name's John Mihalik, and with me is, I can't say friend of the pod because that's the last podcast on the left, but welcome Paige Crawford as our co-host again. Hi, Paige. Hi. Happy to be here. Well, I appreciated all your uh, co-hosting with Connolly, and today we are talking to another one of our main stagers, Mario Mendez. Hey, hey. Mario. Hey, I'm Mario Mendez. How are you? And uh, I know all you guys very, very well, especially Paige and I. We came up in the same exact class and uh, if you want to call it tenure of Whole World. So we did. But we knew each other before Whole World, technically. Yeah, that's true. We were in that, uh, <laughs> that wonderful play called Sideshow where I think we both played like the smallest of bit parts and ended up working our butts off of that play. So, yeah. You two actually did a play together before Whole World? Yeah. We did a musical. Could not tell you what year that was. <laughs> 2000. It had to be like 2014, I think. 14? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like. The... Or... Yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. It was the first year I came here because I came from Vegas and I had been in Vegas for almost 10 years. And uh, in Vegas, I was in a, uh, I guess we'll jump into it. I'll just give a quick like yeah, please. overview. So I started improv pretty dang early, like right out of high school, basically. There was a guy from a rival, not even rival, but just a college next door. And he had started a improv troupe that he wanted to get going that he had brought from high school. You know, three of his buddies from there, but they needed more members. So they just started auditioning randomly at the quad over in uh, University of Utah. And I auditioned and I got in and we were like grassroots, like performing in the basement of a coffee shop and a video store and like really, really doing birthday parties, just small stuff. Ended up starting to go to take seminars, went to the Chicago Improv Festival year after year after year until we started getting good. And then we started selling out and uh, actually got our own venue for a while. And it worked out pretty dang well. And uh, yeah, the that was called Knock Your Socks Off. The leader that was, now I've got to be careful. It's not Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan we know as a society <laughs> is on the podcast. His name is, uh, his self-appointed name is Joe. His actual name is Brogan Grogan Rogan. And he was the leader of our troop, but uh, you can see why he kind of wanted to change his name to Joe. He just chose the most unfortunate name because <laughs> somebody else got famous and then he had to deal with that for the rest of his life. So, and then uh, from there, I ended up going to get work in Las Vegas. So I had to leave Salt Lake City 
And Vegas at the time had just Second City as improv. Like they didn't really have an improv scene at all. And Second City was hard to get into. And they were only there for like a year and a half while I lived there before they pulled out of the Flamingo and were like, nah, we're not doing Vegas shows anymore. So I was on a board of directors up at a theater out there, Las Vegas Little Theater, and did tons of plays and tons of stuff. So when I got here, that's the first thing I started looking up was plays. What could I do? How could I get in? And I found a, a small one up in Sandy Springs that just so happened to be the one that Paige was doing a show at. And and uh, that's kind of where we met. And it was quite an experience. <laughs> but I was also like, eh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, it was a lot of time and a lot of commute because Atlanta has some crazy traffic. So it was like, we'd have to drive almost like an hour and a half just to get to the theater after work and then drive an hour and a half home, get a place. It was a lot of wear and tear. So I was like, no, I'll just take it easy for a while. And I just laid low and did my uh, my work stuff until I saw an ad for Whole World Theater to uh, audition for this program that they had going at the time. It was Student uh, Studies Program, right? Or what was, was it? The, uh, what do we yeah, call it? ISP, the ISP. Studies Program. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like a all-intensive, insane Thing. And, you know, they had some requirements in it. They wanted you to have either a theater degree experience that you could, you know, show that you've been on stage, which I had both of those things. So we did that. And I think Paige and Jake and I are the only ones left from that group that are still yeah. involved in theater. We are. What's funny, too, is that you had your audition for ISP right before me. So as you were leaving your audition, I was out in the lobby waiting and I was like, Mario? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like oh we hey. like oh hey what's up because it had been like it had to be like three years because we did isp in 2017 so if we met in 2014 it was about three years yeah. we hadn't seen each other that's crazy how the time has gone to 2017 that feels like yesterday but yet also like 10 years ago which it i guess it's technically only five years ago but uh and we all lost two years due to quarantine nobody remembers anything I've, yeah we i've lost all concept time and everything like that but uh that was an interesting time for all of us in fact uh, i was just mentioning to john just 10 minutes ago that this is the first time i've had to pull out all this equipment because i have my other job i do post-production for film and various different things so i've had all these little odds and ends little bobbles and lights and a boom mic and stuff and i hooked those up to my computer when we were doing our COVID shows. We tried desperately to have some sort of presence, do some sort of streaming. And so we did streaming improv shows, kind of just got to be as elaborate as you wanted to be. And me being the film guy kind of went overboard. So I didn't have to, I haven't had to touch this equipment since. So I, uh, it's kind of a little nostalgic. Is that what brought you to Atlanta film work? Yeah, I was, I mean, I've always been primarily post-production, meaning editing and, you know, working a lot in marketing, doing a lot of commercials, a lot of promos for different shows. The ultimate fighting championship I was in, uh, <laughs> not fighting, but doing their video support for. That's what brought me out to Vegas. And that's kind of where my career's always been. I've been always somewhere in, in post. I guess you'd say ups and downs with the recession and everything back in 2007 and eight in Vegas. So I needed to find a new gig. I ended up back in actual broadcast television. I guess I did pretty good. I won a few things. I got some awards and stuff. And then the company called WSB headhunted me and pulled me out here. I knew nothing of Atlanta. I didn't think I wanted to go to Atlanta. It was never a city on my list of cities must be in <laughs> and hang out in. And, you know, they believed in the city and they were like, look, tell you what. Here's this offer. I know you're on the fence. Why don't you come out? We'll give you four days. Just come out and see the place. We'll give you a rental car or hotel room. And if you like it, 
basically give me a free vacation. You know, if you like it, then come on down. If you don't, <laughs> we'll go on to the next candidate. So I was feeling pretty, uh, pretty cocky that I got this job and everything, but I also was not sure. And so first thing I did is when I landed for those four days is I started looking up theaters and I saw dad's garage and I saw whole world. Dad's was fun. Don't get me wrong. I had a great time, but I was oh, yeah. blown away when I went to whole world. So it was kind of like, wow, these guys really, you know, they're a small crew there. At the time, I think there's maybe 10 main stagers. So it was just cool. And I went every day that I could. I think it was like, you know, Friday, Saturday, Mm -hmm. and then we were done. But I was like, okay, this has got some theater. I'd gone around and seen some, I'd eaten some food. I've seen all the cool little, you know, areas, like little five points and stuff. And I was like, oh, I can make it. I could, what's holding me back? Let's go. So I went. And then of course you have to get established in a new city, tried to find theater and, uh, waiting to find the right opportunity, I guess the right time. I think around 2017 or 2016, when we saw that audition come up, it was like perfect because even though I loved my job, it wasn't that creative kind of feeling that I get when I'm on stage. It's a different monster altogether. You'd use a different part of your creativity, but it's not, it's not the same. It's not live performance. It's not making people laugh, which is very important to me. And it's not that collaborative, you know, it's collaborative in a different way. And I kind of got to build a new theater family, which I think is very important for theater people types. We just are. We just like to surround ourselves with talented people, funny people, people that challenge us creatively and just kind of become like a family because you just end up working in these close conditions. And that's kind of your respite from horrible drags of life when you're like, oh, Friday, this has been a tough week. Well, I got to go to whole world. And I get to act like a goofball and make people laugh. And at the same time, we get to call it art. <laughs> so, <laughs> When you saw the ISP audition, was there any particular reason you went to Whole World? Well, I actually took classes at Dad's Garage before I went to Whole World. So it was in that gap where I was like, I'd done the show page and I was looking for something a little bit. And I feel like I've, I felt like I've already done the, you know, yes and, and the really early things. So I was like, well... Dad's was really insistent that I take their 101, 101. And like, so I was like, okay, I'll do it. But the first one was just, you know, 101. But the second one just felt like there wasn't a lot of give or take. There was a lot of teaching that Whole Worlds does. And then the third one was really good. It was actually very, very involved. You know, I I started feeling like, okay, this is going to work and that sort of thing. But they were absolutely adamant. Like, yeah, we don't have any room on the main stage. You'll You'll be lucky if you get a form. Like, just really, just... I didn't jive well with what I felt was also the improv mentality, which is, hey, it's yes and. It's let's find a way to, mm-hmm. you know, lift people up, especially if they're talented and stuff. And so I was like, well, I don't know. I just kind of was a little disillusioned. And then I saw that and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go audition. It was a, if you got in, you got in. There was no like no payment for that class other than just like, I think like $85 for paperwork or something like that. And then yeah. the rest of the time we became kind of like staff volunteers as well at the theater, which didn't really pain me at all. I was like, yeah, sure. You want me to help the run theater? No problem. Because I usually end up doing that anyway, just because when I find a place that I like, I want to make the best I can. And I've have almost 20 years experience in some sort of fashion of film or theater or something. So I knew I could contribute something even more than just the acting. So I was like, absolutely. Yeah. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through the appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly. Georgia Council for the Arts also receives support from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. And thank 
goodness for organizations like these. Because now more than ever, anybody sick of that phrase? Everyone knows how important the arts are. Because where did everybody turn to after two years of health arts? Let's keep recognizing these amazing organizations for what they are and what they do. We love you. You've improved our uh, video infrastructure greatly. Oh, thanks. We have televisions in our theater and outside in our cafe, and you turned them into high def and got us a new camera. How did you get involved with just making the equipment better? Well, the first thing that ended up happening was it was, I think, a year before COVID when we first started doing that. We had a computer that would record, but it was like, it kind of, man, I don't want to bring it down a little bit, but you know, we all got close to Carlos. Yeah. And unfortunately we had a cast member around that time pass away and we record all of our shows. And so since I was a video editor and all that, I was like, someone needs to do something. We got to show some of this work here. My boss was really supportive at the time. I was like, look, can I take a day off? I got to work on something else. I'm just giving myself a day. And he was really supportive of the situation. So I did. I went and I got as much video of Carlos as I could. But when I started getting the video into the computer, this, you know, sound wasn't the greatest or the scene was amazing, but the shot was overblown because the camera wasn't fixed right or it was green or it was blue or, you know, like, like just a lot of work to get it to sync up. Even the audio was just a little bit out of sync. I was like, we want to use this stuff. We want to show it. We want to show off not only for advertisements and that sort of thing, but we've got these wonderful monitors that were HD, but we're using an old camera from like 2002 or something like that. Like that's like the camera we had running was literally the same brand and model of my first digital video camera when I was in college. So I was like, we're a little out of date. So I just went to Emily. I was like, you know, we could probably make this a little bit better. It just started with the camera. So we got an HD camera finally. Then I was like, oh, this computer isn't up to snuff. And Emily got some money to get some equipment. So we just did the camera and the computer system. But little did we know that that was right before COVID. And so then when COVID hit, now we needed to beef up the network and do streaming and do all this stuff. So it just started like, you know, like kind of a landslide. All of a sudden we're doing this, we're doing that. And Emily was like, well, now it's time if we can replace this camera. Why don't we get some more cameras? And then we had lost seating. So she was like, I don't want to give up four seats for the camera. Cause it was, it was a big old camera that we had taken up, you know, basically four seats more or less. Oh, yeah. And so I finally just was like, you know what, let me do some research. I found that because of COVID, a lot of these security camera companies have started upgrading their cameras to be visual cameras. I mean, this is all like brand new, like stuff you could control with your computer at home. And so we ended up getting that and making it all work. And the only thing now we need is mics, because if we want to stream or we want to record, uh, that's, you know, we've got some, you can hear it, but it's good for our archiving purposes. It's mm-hmm. good for people's reels. But I think if we, we really want to take that next step and I'm pretty sure we're going to do it. I mean, I just saw she got the receiver for the hand mic. So I think we should be well on our way to the last <laughs> thing. Then other than that, it was just my sense of, I don't know, discipline. Cause I'm just thinking, you know what? If we're going to put in, like I did the stereo system in the cafe as well, because we just did not have, we had like just what speakers from 1994 in there that were kind of scratchy and just didn't, you know, you, they were blown out and you could tell. So I ended up 
finding a place that did restaurant quality bar surround sound stuff, got the equipment. And I just tore, I spent two days and I tore out every leftover piece of unused cable that I could find that I knew was non-use. If there was any question, I left it, but there's, you know, it was a good, like eight garbage sacks of just old wires and stuff from the days when they used to do a TV show back in like the nineties and, Oh, yeah. You know, all, all sorts of different things. So now it's all clean now. Now it's up there. It's a very clean, clean ceiling. And uh, the sound system is great. And everything is, I guess, put together more or less. We just need those microphones. Not to backtrack, but I think it's interesting that this whole snowball effect that you said would happen with the Carlos thing, which I think is funny because I've noticed in a lot of these interviews, we all mentioned Carlos, at least the ones that knew him. Because <laughs> I think I did in my interview. I remember listening to Jake's. He did as well. Like, I think it's interesting. This is just like random side note, but like <laughs> interesting. I've just noticed that like everyone, he's a very impactful person that's no longer here. And I think it's interesting that he impacted a lot of us who came in around the time right before he died. You know, just coincidentally, the day we're doing this interview, Daniel Clanton, that episode will drop. It'll be episode seven. And he talks about Carlos. It was a friend that saw Carlos at Atlantic Station, one of our shows there, that got him looking at Whole World. Wow. It's weird. It's like these interviews with the main stage has weirdly turned into a small little tribute to Carlos again. (laughs) (laughs) He, I think, affected a lot. And he was a fast friend to everybody. He loved improv. More than anybody, you know, we all love it, Prof. But he just loved, loved it. But he also was like striving to make it better. He was always like, oh, how can we make a game better? How can we do this? Or, hey, that guy, you know, I want you in here. Then he would see something in people that he'd be like, oh, you're good. I want you on the main stage with me. So then he would help you get on the main stage. I think a little ball of his, you know, was a little selfish, a little selfless. But it always ended up, you know, as a good thing in the end. Because he was like, he wanted to perform with good people and he wanted to do good shows. So if he saw that, he would encourage it right away. We got to get you on the main stage. We got to get you going. So this is how you're going to do this. This is, you're going to concentrate on scene work. You're going to, you know, stop being so gimmicky and that sort of stuff. He was an interesting well, guy that we all got to know well, very yeah. fast. Because he was a guy who was always there. No matter what, we could always go out and get chips and salsa with him after a show or, or oh, yeah. uh, end up just hanging out at three o'clock in the morning. He was the last man standing a lot of times. Like, we'd say goodbye and some people just come in and they do the show and they're like, oh, it was a great performing with the John. Okay, boop out you know and you don't get to really hang out with them too much because we have lives we got to get home to family or wake up early to do a you know something in the morning on saturday or whatever but uh he always was there like you didn't have to you didn't have to look hard for carlos you're like <laughs> if he wasn't there everyone would be like where's carlos what's he doing and he's like oh he went on vacation or whatever but uh that was rare but it all stemmed from this footage could and should be better. We deserve as a as a show and as a performance group, I think it deserves better because it's a very positive place, I would say. And when you watch our shows, you can see the attention to scene work and stuff. We're not fighting for time. I think you can see some improv troops across the country. I've seen it, especially the larger the main stage gets, the larger the cast gets. Um, and there's a fight for justification of being on stage. And you can't really make good improv in that environment. If you're trying to stand out in improv, you've already failed at improv because that's not the job. The job is to make everybody look good. And sometimes you're not the one that stepped into that role. Sometimes you just have to be the bounce or the straight person, uh, so to speak, instead of the comedian and let that person get the laughs. Yeah. The audience might go, oh, Paige is so funny. But if you didn't serve that up to her, she's not going to, you're not going to be able to. It's the very hard, if not impossible, to do an improvised rant. And I think we've all been in situations where we've had to. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't like it. 
because I'm just like, come on, just just somebody say something. I've I've got I'm running out of juice. I'm running out of ideas. I'm interested to know, too, because I'm kind of like you. I I did improv mainly and then I have a theater degree, but I really improv was what I really loved. But there was a moment where I had to like I kind of decided between theater and doing whole world. Like there was a moment where I was like stage managing a show and I was also about to end the ISP program. And I kind of made the decision that like, okay, I want to be an apprentice member at Whole World. I want that to be my new theater life. So I did, I had to make a decision and it was an easy one, honestly, for me. And so I'm interested to know kind of where you decided, okay, I'm going to just concentrate on improv, like no more other theater, no more musicals, no more straight (laughs) theater. Well, even though some of us at the theater, like Chip, he does both, you know, he'll do plays occasionally and stuff like that. Did you have that come to realization of, okay, it's improv now? Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. There's always a pining every now and then for doing a musical. Like, uh, And uh, I appreciate the work that goes into it. But I was on the board of directors for many years of a theater. And the thing is, is, is if you do a show and, you know, it's just my own personal thing. I love theater. I love that it's a little bit more lasting than an improv scene, clearly. But the same joy I get from it, it's a very similar joy. Like we put something together, it was live. It was the actors doing it on stage because that's one thing I love about theater is unlike a film, me as an editor, I can destroy an actor's performance if I'm bad at my job. If I'm good at my job, I can make a mediocre actors look amazing. There's so much manipulation that we can do in this medium with the camera. But on stage, you have to say the lines. You have to do it. So that's why I've always liked about theater. But it kind of sucks if you're in a theater and you're committed to this season. Like, okay, I'm going to help produce. I'm going to be in a show or I'm going to direct a show. But those guys are like, okay, we're going to do all of your least favorite plays You know, then you're committed to stuff that you just don't have the most passion for. And you're like, okay, we're doing all these really old timey plays that were written in 1950. You know, sometimes they're fun and they last forever, but sometimes you're just like, man, this is okay. This is what we're doing. And I understand theaters need to balance a different budget with their rights and stuff. But I liked Whole World because every show was unique. It's kind of like a firework. It's not happening again, but you still get that live electricity that happens on stage when you're watching a performance you still get that and i like the fact that i can leave it not meaning that i can leave like whole world forever but whole world and chip and emily they're always very supportive of other people's careers other things we've had guys who like you're saying even chip himself go and do a show that he's performing so i know if that opportunity comes up and oh there's my dream role bialystok and i'm almost old enough for it <laughs> and audition i get it i won't feel bad to go to chip and say hey look i'm in you know i'm gonna play one of my dream roles for nine months so i'm gonna go do that he'll be like great come back you know when you're done and or you know when you have some time off or whatever come back so that's kind of what i've done i've had to do that even in my personal life because me and my wife were both in the industry my wife, she's in the production production side. So sometimes she's had to go out of town and I have to go with her. Um, I mean, I guess I don't have to, but I mean, it's, it's pretty crappy if I'm like, ah, sorry, <laughs> wife, you go away for four months and I'll just, you know, hang out, I guess. But, you know, you want to be with your wife. So I've done that and then come back and it's been perfectly fine. I like that ability that you can go, oh yeah, this Friday's busy. I 
can't sign up for this show. Like I don't have to do every show. Whereas, you know, if you're cast as Bialystok and the producers, mm-hmm. you got to be at every rehearsal. You got to be at every performance. You be at everything for what is considerably a good chunk of the year, you know, four to five months sometimes, depending the community theaters or the Lord Bees, the Lord Seeds, the smaller, the professional theater, I guess you'd say, the more time they take to put things on because it's just the nature of the beast, right? You don't have people because they have to work their day jobs and stuff like that. You can't just crank out eight hours of rehearsal for three weeks straight. But then the other thing, which I think is even better than all of that, it's the spontaneity of it. And it's with the other person. Like if you go up on stage, you can suddenly open up a whole world and have like this amazing little scene with your friend that you guys just created on the spot. And when it hits, it is undescribable. Suddenly you're like, okay, now we walked on stage as Paige and Mario and John, and now we're leaving the stage as Rudy, Glenn, and One-Eyed Willie, the bandits who ended up, you know, trying to rob a train but we're just a little bit too anxious to do it. So then all of a sudden we come up with this cool game and sometimes some cool characters come out of that. And I love that spontaneity that it brings. You'll never get that in theater unless something goes wrong and a light or a table falls and the actor gets to try to cover up with a cool improv and then the audience claps and then they're happy. So Paige, I expect to have a new character out of you, One-Eyed Willie. Got it. You got it. Because you you are a master of characters. (laughs) Thank you. I think that's cool to see because then you start knowing, you know, your friends behind. Like I've had tons of conversations and just hanging out with like Monish or David Owen where we just do voices at each other and we're like, well, does that sound right? Does that sound right? And we're just, you know, it's talking shop in a way. And I've seen, we're talking about Paige again, but I remember a lot of the characters are that Paige comes up with is just her screwing around backstage with people, just messing around. And then all of a sudden we have a little weird character dynamic that comes off. I still want to do that uh, character where I'm just a put on dad and you're like that really rowdy 10 year old <laughs> that just won't settle down. Yeah. Like, I remember, yeah, we were talking about, that. I remember talking about that one day with you. I think it was like a rehearsal. And I was like, we were talking about how funny it would be like if you're like this serious dad who got invited to do this expert show, but you like couldn't get a babysitter last minute. <laughs> and I'm just fucking with you the entire time. <laughs> just throwing fits every time, just running yeah. around, storming, like, yeah. like interrupting. <laughs> If you are looking to enhance your awesomeness and meet sexy new people, you need to take a class at Whole World. We offer a 10-week class for adults at all levels. Whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced improviser, you'll learn the Whole World approach to improv and have a blast doing it. I know I did. For students who progress through the advanced class, the entire program culminates with a big, Big show on the legendary whole world stage. All the actors at our award-winning theater have gone through our class program. And now it's time for you to take the stage. That's right, you. You know you want to. Get that neuroplasticity going and gain confidence at the same time. Go to the classes page at wholeworldtheater.com to register. Or for more details, you can email our associate director, David Owen, at david at wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, that's theater spelled with an R-E, because we're fancy. I find it interesting. When I got out of college, 
I noticed Atlanta theater, especially like community theater and non-professional theater was very musical heavy. Mm. They did the big numbers. And then when they chose plays, they would be these like, like you said, older plays, kind of boring plays, serious plays. Like no one was doing funny comedic plays. And it bugged me for years. Besides the one musical I was in with Mario, I never did musicals. I didn't like to be in musicals. I didn't really even like watching musicals. I stage managed a lot of musicals. And I stage managed a lot of those like, you know, elephant man plays and all that stuff like that. Like the sad, (laughs) popular, and like no one was doing comedic, like comedy theater. And so that's why I feel like I chose improv over the theater scene of Atlanta because to me it was like, okay, here I get to do comedy. And moving on to theater meets improv, we have theme shows, which you haven't done in a while, but I do miss those theme shows. But you speaking back on like how Chip and Emily are really open to everyone's ideas and working with everyone and getting ideas off the ground. You came to them with the idea to do the Walking Dead show, which is, I think, one of our more successful theme shows. I think that Mm -hmm. one and the Game of Thrones ones was like probably for me, top two. Some of the Evil Dead ones were really fun. But tell us about the process of getting that off the ground. Well, I was a huge Walking Dead fan. I already loved the show before I moved here. And then, of course, dude, you move into Atlanta. That's where they're shooting The Walking Dead. So you have to get in it. Yeah. And I found it was a it was a huge phenomenon here. You couldn't go to a bar that didn't have like a Walking Dead night where they would watch it live. And I never really did that. And I didn't know anybody. So I couldn't watch my favorite show. It's like my buddies. You know, it was just me. So I was like, oh, I'll go try it out. And it became like a must do every week for me. So I'd watch The Walking Dead either at Diesel, uh, which is now gone RIP or this little bar that's connected to a theater called the Java Lords and they would just project it we would all cheer it was like watching it like a watching a football game or something but around uh the time Andrew Lincoln left the walking dead was kind of like the last where all of the fans were still ready for that because it kind of dropped off popularity so I was like if we're going to do a walking dead show I think if we're going to do theme shows that are connected to what is going on in pop culture, we got to do it at the right time. I think if you wait too long, like we did a Walking Dead show now, I think people would be kind of, I don't think it would do well because they'd be like, why are you even parodying this or why are you uh, uh, doing that show? Uh, I think I think a lot of people would probably ask, is that show still on? Yeah, they'd be like, what are you, why are you bringing that back? And so this is our shot. Also, when I would do theater back in Vegas, at one point towards the end, we were given one show that we could produce or choose to put together. And everything else was kind of like by the whims of the board or whatever. But I would know my pieces because I would go, oh, I've got my buddy Drew. I've got, you know, TJ, Stacia, all these actors and actresses that I would work with. And I knew I had pieces to like put on a particular show. And when The Walking Dead came out, we had Scott Gerard, who already was doing Negan as a impersonation and he looked like him a little bit enough you know he looked like close enough to him we had grant we had a lot of people that i was oh he'd be a good rick and i just had a lot of people that fell into the right roles and i was like dude we well, gotta do this jake looks just like that guy yes we had jake to play abraham yes because yeah. uh... <laughs> <laughs> he does look like they think he's people think he's related to that guy. yeah Horrible, uh, but, which I thought was hilarious. Going but I had that. seen some of our theme shows before and they go different scales. But I was like, I want to try to take it up a notch and use some of my old school scraping the bottom of the barrel to make a budget look bigger than it is. And luckily, Walking Dead lends itself to that because all I had to do really was go into our prop place and find every piece of junk that looked like it could just be left in the wasteland and decorated the whole place like the Walking Dead. And I made Walking Dead. We brought out everything because all we have back there in the prop room is junk. 
Yeah, we did. No, we really did. Like the prop room was empty. We had uh, old pieces of two by fours that were there, you know, and a bunch of those ropes and stuff. And it looked good. And I think it was also a good time. We had an apprentice at the time. He had done a bunch of prosthetic makeup for haunted houses and things like that. I had my own experience. I don't have a lot of makeup training in terms of theater stuff, but I loved Sam Raimi and the Evil Dead. So when I got into film school, I learned how to do all that like zombie makeup and stuff because I wanted to make my own little 10 minute zombie film. So we did all these like low rent tricks to do fun zombie things, a lot of Halloween stuff and put it all together. The only thing I would change, and it's just, you know, it's an uphill battle because I think it is I would have liked some more of the people. I think maybe 60% of the actors that were involved had actually seen The Walking Dead or knew it well enough. Um, other people had no idea. But they're like, yeah, I, I am my improviser. I'll, I'll wing it. And, you know, they did great, especially because you can give them parameters and stuff. But uh, I think when we do strict parodies, I would like to have like maybe a pizza night or something where we all have to watch the best of or a good amount of the show to just get a good feeling about it. There's an argument to be made too that sometimes in a scene when the actor doesn't know what the subject is or what the person is, that can be just as funny. It, it certainly can. It certainly can. It can, it can. it can cause problems when you're trying to do a full two hours and keep everything cohesive. And <laughs> somebody suddenly just walks off like a character in a weird ass direction. But uh, yeah, for sure. I like, I do think some of the funniest bits is when we'll do like Broadway auditions or whatever, and we're taking a theater uh, or a, a theater play or a stage or a screenplay. And we're trying to make that into a musical and someone has never seen pretty woman and now has to act out something from pretty woman. <laughs> that can sometimes come out pretty dang funny. I have the opposite problem. You know, when they go back into like the nineties, the odds, even the eighties, seventies, I get all that. But when they get to, you know, today's stuff, the real modern stuff, that's where people trip me up. Yeah. It is an interesting thing. Like it just goes to show you can never predict the audience in this realm. Cause I like, we all like to do improvisations and make up characters or things like that. So you'll work on them. And then sometimes you think, Hey, I've got this really good, relevant, like I've got a great Bill Burr impersonation, but it just so happens that he's still new enough, even though he's not, he's a big, big comedian, Yeah, but not enough of our audience knows him. Like <laughs> where our audience's demo is 50 to 70, a good amount of the time. And you know, they won't get the Futurama references. They won't basically eh, a good three quarters of the voice as I could do, they won't, they won't recognize because they're, <laughs> they're all not from their generation. But. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the park or the vagina monologues. Vagina. So you finished the ISP program. Yeah. What's it like when you get the phone call to be a full apprentice? Well, that was uh, that was a great surprising day uh, because I didn't expect it at all. They had, uh, I think we're getting back into this, which I think is good because we need to have some cohesion where we just get to used to, even if we've been together for five years on a stage, if we don't keep practicing together every week, sometimes we lose a little bit. It gets rusty. It's the only way to put it. Sure. Um, but back then we would have, if you guys can remember too, we would have the apprentices on one side and the main stages on the other side. And then when the apprentices started getting opportunities to be in the main stage shows, you kind of knew that, oh, I might get a chance to get cast because they'd say, oh, 
Mario and Brandon North and Dan Englander. These are all people that were in there. You rehearsing with the main stages today. Everybody else go to The Apprentice and you do, you know, whatever we had planned for that. So you kind of knew you were excited. You got to, oh, I got to be played with the big boys kind of thing. And uh, then you would get in the show. But if that started happening more and more frequently, you just be in the back of your mind, like, oh, maybe I'm getting moved up and stuff. But Dan had been consistently in shows and I was as well. But then all of a sudden it stopped. And I was like, oh, well, OK, it looks like it's probably going to be Dan. Like everybody, Dan wasn't surprised when they asked him up. But when they moved him up, they said, OK, everybody else put a big hand together for Dan Englander. We're moving him up to main stage in the room with everybody from the uh, Apprentice cast and the main cast. And everyone's cheering like, hey, Dan. And then Chip goes, and... Mario Mendez. And I literally was like, because Dan was sitting next to me kind of, and I was like clapping on the back, like, good job. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, I almost didn't quite <laughs> hear it until I think it was Lee behind me started like, you know, shaking my shoulders like, yeah, you got it. I was like, whoa, it blew me away. I had no idea, but it was great. And everybody was, you know, super happy about it. And, you know, we had a great time. And then that was at the end of rehearsal. So then Chip was like, now go sign up for main stage shows. So I was like, okay, here, here we go. The irony of it was he moved me up at the beginning of the month. So I still had three uh, <laughs> shifts that I had to do as house manager and, and that kind of thing. Cause as you know, part of being an apprentice is helping to run the theater and doing all that. So yeah, as we record this, I've been a main stager for about six months now. I still have one more shift. Do you really? <laughs> you have to, um, yeah, have to knock I off will- the end? I owe one of our apprentices, Sarah Underwood. I owe her a shift. <laughs> she hasn't cashed in yet, but you know, she also works will call a lot. That's amazing. Uh, I think Paige, you, did you have the same thing or did you, were you like, you just did your last shift and then you were moved up? I think I had like two more shifts to do after getting moved up. And then just didn't do them. You're like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did them. <laughs> I'm just saying like, I think I was moved up maybe in like the middle of a month or something. And so I had like two left that month. Mm. And I think I did them in like the same weekend. Cause I moved up in 2018. Yeah. I vaguely remember time anymore. Time like it's just smushed <laughs> together. Theater time and theater time. Like we said at the beginning of this podcast episode, it doesn't exist in the regular world. Yeah. It's own timeline. It really doesn't. It is something that I ha- even like, I have to always convince myself. Oh, I'll see it happen when I'm on stage. Cause I think, It's a mistake to say, oh, I've been doing this for six years and I'm always top notch. Like I don't have to work on anything. It's not true. It is a muscle. You have to constantly be working the muscle, whether it's making up songs and learning how to rhyme off the top of your head, doing voices. Because if you don't do voices for a while or a voice that I haven't done in a while, and then suddenly I have to do it. It's weird because it's like, oh, I forgot. Like I kind of, it's like you have to kind of remember that muscle memory. To say that, you know, you're constantly ready, you're not, you know, you've got to constantly be working and I'm always trying to improve myself in that sort of well, but I always try to remind myself that when you're on stage and you're doing a stage play where you have the script in front of your hand, I think it feels like 10 seconds feels like it's 30 seconds, but when you're improvising And you have nothing and you're just, I got to improvise. 10 seconds feels like two minutes. So I think we have a tendency if you get nervous and you're like, oh no, there's a big pause. Suddenly you're like, oh, we got to fill it up. And you start talking faster and faster. But you, you feel like you're going at normal speed. But the audience is like, whoa, what the crap? Like I always have to remind myself, slow down. Just take a beat, relax. Let's get into flow. Let's figure out what the other person's doing. And it'd be fine to kind of like live in that silence, even if the audience isn't responding yet. 
because that'll also get them to pay attention a little bit more. They'll lean in a little bit. They become more invested, especially if they can see a really good established relationship. Then that funny situation starts coming out, how they relate. They know everything they need to know from the people that they learn from the prior minute, but you don't get that if you jump right into the crazy. Every scene I think needs to grow in a crazy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And also I think we've christened the law of improv relativity. (laughs) The 10 seconds of uh, improv time. It really feels like that though. It feels so like, it feels like time really slows down for me up there. I kind of have the opposite. I go out on stage and it feels like five minutes later, we've already done four scenes and we're back for intermission. Yeah. I think that's the relative of after it, like after the show, I'll be in the middle of a show going like, okay, this is and sometimes it's a tough show and it'll feel like it's taking forever. But the minute that lights come up and we do the whole world, yay. Thanks for everybody coming. I'm like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. That what, where the time go. It is very spongy in that relativity. So to speak, the show feels like it takes an instant, but then when you're actually on stage, I just become hypersensitive of like, oh shit, you know, what are we doing? And then that's dangerous because then you can get in your head. So the best thing to do is just calm down and then relax and have a conversation with your scene partner, make eye contact, and then fun stuff comes from it. I think the other, getting back to the question, you said why theater over, or I'm sorry, improv over scripted theater. I think it's also because there's something magical that cannot be explained like theater, you get that theater magic. Sometimes we've all been in a show that it just looks like you're thinking, ah, this is a, excuse the French, a shit show. This is, we opening night, we're screwed because we're not prepared. But every now and then, though, you get in those situations and theater magic takes over and somehow everybody does their job on the day. And it actually comes out pretty half decent. And you're like, I don't know how that happened. But in improv, it's more than that. It's like you end up suddenly almost having, especially when things are going really well and you're connecting with somebody, you almost have a ESP with them. Like if you're on stage and you're comfortable with that person, you've done a lot, you can look in their eyes and know what's coming up next. Maybe not the exact words they're saying, but you know, okay, they get what I'm getting at and I get what they're getting at. So this is where we're going to go. And it's weird. It's an ESP. It's the only way to, you know, it's just you're communicating in two different levels. One as the characters that are whatever, getting mad at each other or having a great time together, trying to get out of a situation. But you as the actors are looking at each other and you're going, okay, you know, I'm setting you up, get ready. Or this is, you know, did you pay attention to what I said? And we do. And when you get that, especially with somebody that you could do it anytime, it's fun. Like, I think I can almost read Paige's mind on stage a lot of times. And if I don't, and she comes up with something, it's usually like, I got to be ready to not break because it's something I'm not going to predict. And then you end up trying not to break on stage, but. Okay. Let's do a mind reading exercise. I'm going to think of a number between one and 10. (laughs) It doesn't work over zoom. (laughs) Oh, it will. It will. Uh, Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get my Svengali mode. Here we go. Okay. You're thinking of a number between one and 10. Yeah. 7.7. Very close. It was eight. Whoa, whoa, there, see, there you go. Oh, see, you're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just yes and page. You'd be like, absolutely, yeah, seven points. <laughs> we don't know. As we're wrapping up, Mario, what yeah. is one last piece of advice that you would give a apprentice or a new student who's getting into improv? That is easy, oddly enough, because Sharon Powell just came up and asked me that just the other day. And I put some thought to it because I really wanted to think, what's the best piece of advice? And I think there's a lot to do with make sure you learn from everybody and, and you listen and stuff. But I think the 
One thing that we sometimes neglect, even I have to remind myself to do it. As much as improv is working with other people and listening and being a part of the scene that is there, that is, of course, what we work together as a crew when we're at rehearsal. But if you get in a situation like, okay, now we're going to work on doing music improv. We're going to work on doing voices and different accents and, you know, all the different Shakespearean, all of the stuff, the styles, that noir styles, all of that. That's what we're going to work on rehearsal, right? We got two hours with 15 people in the room, right? You're going to get a couple of run-throughs and you can get some pointers, but you're not going to get that individual. What you're going to get from rehearsal is bonding with the other actor, learning how to communicate, getting that part out. That's important. But you're never going to develop the skills to do a new voice or to sing a song or something like that. So I always say, do your homework. Do work at home. If you want to be a great improvised rapper, then get a bunch of minus tracks or get a bunch of tracks for free. They, you know, there's tons of DJs that want to just be heard. They'll give it to you for free. You might have a demo or a or a every now and then I might stop and say, This is DJ North. What what? And then the music will go on. But get those, put them in your phone and just rap at home, rap in the car, rap, you know, what everything you see, if that's what you want to do. And then when you get stuck with rhymes, well, then go back and review those rhymes. Play to do run run by yourself to the hardest things to rhyme and do that work there. Voices, same thing. I want to work on a certain voice, listen to the character, listen to the actor you're trying to impersonate. But if you've got to do that at home, we don't have time to do that on stage. You know, we're working to create a group mind and to create a cool rehearsal atmosphere. For anybody who's nervous about like, oh, well, what if I don't do it well enough? Well, you know what? You got to have those skills in place to jump into it. But I will tell you that a lot enough people work and do their homework at home. So you will have like a leg up if you're constantly working on yourself as an actor and then can bring that as a gift to the scene. I will say to your point, my Michael Caine impression came from me sitting down and watching like an hour long, like I think it was like acting with Michael Caine. He was doing a workshop and this was like somebody from the late, maybe late seventies, early eighties. It's on YouTube. And I just watched the whole thing. And the entire time I was just imitating him, not even thinking I would do him as an imper. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, I'll try this. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's a really good point because you can find a Michael Caine impersonation just by watching a documentary about Michael Caine. (laughs) Or anything that you're doing. You know, we're all improvisers. We're all funny people. So when we're in our quote unquote normal lives and we're not with our other fellow improvisation people, you know, you you end up goofing off and people are like, ah, he's so funny. But then every now and then you might make a funny voice that suddenly starts getting something out of people. And it's just yours. You know, you just made it up and you're like, wait a minute, maybe I can develop that to sound more natural or I could do it at, on the drop of a dime, you know? And a drop of a dime, that's not a saying. A pin drop, <laughs> it's like, you know. It is now. Yeah. Drop that's of it. a dime is now the title of this episode. Drop of a, a dime. Idea. <laughs> drop of a dime, improv relativity. A dime on improv stage is actually like $20. But- well, it's been uh, great talking to you, Mario. Thanks for all your insight. And oh, sure. Paige, thank you for um, helping me through this episode. Absolutely. (laughs) Like that rambling guy helped me get through it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I just sit back (laughs) and eat my snack while I listen to Mario. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's the thing is I think that we all love this. You just, you know, you want to. You want to have fun with an improviser at a party. Don't start asking him about improv because then we'll just go off on everything (laughs) we love about it. And then we won't do any of the fun things you want. (laughs) What now? I'm a lot lot of times when someone's like talking about improv. I was like, no, no, we don't need to. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> about it quite enough <laughs> and well, you would you just gonna ask me silly questions anyway which are, <laughs> let's say. 
Join us next week. Until then, I'm John Mihalik, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, a podcast that's vegan-friendly and gluten-free. That's hard to find. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and maestro of improv is Chip Powell. Recording, writing, and post-production by John Mihalik. All right. Nothing new this week. Let's try to keep this up for the next episode. Some weeks John wants to be humble, and some weeks a little cocky maybe, I don't know. Original music by The Gentle Readers, and our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. It's been over a year since anyone left a review, and we're beginning to think you don't love us anymore. Can you hear the tiny violin? I don't know why I'm talking like William Shatner. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible and easier than trying to figure out how much of your old clothes you gave to Goodwill. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. I stayed out until 5 a.m. last night. I haven't done that in quite some time. Saw a street fight. Uh, it was it was pretty it was a little scary. Not gonna lie. Street fighting. Uh, and one of the, the lady was pregnant. That was going after this dude. Probably can't say anything more about it. And then I tried to dance. I think I've forgotten how to dance. That's not a good sign. But I but I socialized. That's a step. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. What did you want to ask, Paige? Oh, no, I was going to say when we were talking about the new cameras and how you got them, it started with, you know, the Carlos video. And I said, and now I'm like, Oh, look at that. Even beyond the grave, he's still making a difference. (laughs) (laughs)